Hello, welcome back to Modern Animism, a very convoluted guide. As promised, this episode looks at spirit animals, following on from our conversation altering consciousnesses. And again, I'm your podcast host, Sarah Jane, and this is podcast 20 in an unlimited series. Modern Animism looks towards modern ideas, morality, scientific understanding, and encapsulates them into a spiritual format. But overall, it's not about religion or parapsychology. In essence, we're looking at the shift in how we perceive our society. And whilst we talk about society becoming more secular, in reality, we can't escape our sense of other, of the supernatural. Animism, the belief in non-human people, or the belief in essential energy that flows into unarticulated objects, it cannot be denied since it gives us an evolutionary advantage if we are believers. So the system of spirit animals, you would imagine this to be something very conductive to modern animists. And I spoke in session 18 about the fact the concept of spirit animals didn't appeal to me. This is purely because of the way the use of spirits and the use of animals have been changing within our society. Yes, the society have become more animistic, plus our moral understanding of ecology and our place within the animal kingdom has rapidly changed in response to our mismanagement of our native environment. But there is a disconnect between modern moral inquiry and the spiritual value of the life within the planet that we have yet to reconcile. We see that we need to protect animals and the environment. We started to re-emphasise the spiritual importance of other species. And despite these things, we swung too far towards over-nurturing, over-protecting animals, in the sense we feel more intimately connected to other species, maybe unnaturally connected. And one such way that this over-connectivity has manifested is in the modern New Age misappropriation of animal spirits. Now, I've done many different consciousness-altering workshops, but the concept of doing one guided meditation that we take you to meet a power animal has been one of the most superficial activities now undertaken. The concept of being able to receive an animal guide isn't something that can be achieved in a half-hour meditation. The concept of spirit animals is in reality about ancestor worship, the belief that in after-death, the spirit of the ancestors would assume a new form, a symbolic animal form, for us as the survivors to utilise as a guide to the spirit realm. The older your ancestor, that is the further into the past since the ancestor lived, the more accumulated wisdom that spirit will hold. It reminds us again that animism is all about community, or specifically in this instance, to honour the people who gave the most to the community. Animal spirits represent historical lineages, taking us back to the first kings and queens, the first settlers, the progenitors of the entire races or clans, but then illustrate these back to us in animal forms that they would have assumed after death. For example, um, Jason Momoa, the Aquaman star, he's got a half-sleeve tattoo of shark teeth triangles. And this represents his Hawaiian amakua, 
is a bit like him having a piece of imagery that represents his family crest imprinted onto his body. Having a shark indicates the Momoa's family originated from a place near to the sea or earned their living on the ocean. That they're connected to the land was so great that after death they became transmuted into something that will be associated with that tribal land. The people are the land and there is unity between them and the animals, plants and stones which reside in that area are emblematic of the unity between the physical and non-physical community. As proof of this, um, tribal imagery of sea animals are never seen in cultures where the family groups lived a long way inland. I mean, hawks are popular in mountain folks or owls for forest peoples and they represent the specific nature of the human's habitat. In Canadian North American mythology, the type of spirit animal is not only clan land specific, it's a bit like an Indian caste system. An animal totem would determine what type of jobs you were best suited for. The bear clans are strong. The jobs they undertake bears are related to policemen, security persons, but also caregivers. They split the clans down into the bear claw clan and the bear head families. And each one holds a specific role within the entire first person's nation. Bird clans are associated with communication. This can be categorised as lawgivers, recorders of mythology and lineage, and tradition keeping. Um, they're the public presenters of information. Fish and water mammals are concerned with law. They resolve the disputes. They're the teachers and healers. And rather than being the physical presentation of information, they utilise the information and give it as an application. The final group is mixed mammals. These include the moose families, rabbits, foxes, wolf families, mice, stags. Each of these animal clans are concerned with farming and land management. So if you're born into a bear family, it's expected you'd, you'd undertake policing or draw upon your ancestral knowledge to help you undertake tasks in that field. And overall, you're looking about 49 animal clans and they're forming the cultural group of the first people known as the Anishinaabe. hope I pronounced that right. And they work all the way across the Great Plains, right up into Canada and the Canadian wilderness. And I would, I would consider this to be a very massive area for 49 tribes to manage. In many forms of ancestor worship, the soul and spirit are two different compartmentalised places within the human. There is no afterlife. Your soul moves into another form, perhaps a better, purer place, but the spirit remains longer. It may distort to become a bad spirit. It must be appeased before it succumbs to its physical earthly desires and lingers longer than necessary, causing distress. This is especially important for Inuit and Sami peoples in the Arctic areas um, because of the way the bodies are treated after death. It's very much harder to dispose of them um, without attracting wild animals. Human remains are taken away after long spiritual rites. And where the body is kept, it's dressed and fed 
and then it's taken to where no family members will ever venture again. So it's completely cut off from the old family. But the spirits themselves remain and they must be appeased. And um, this takes multiple forms. Sometimes this appeasement is offerings. You can have to eat like food left at grave sites. I mean, we'd probably consider we'd give flowers nowadays. We wouldn't give food. People give um, alcohol, and this might be sprayed as an act of libation. And we consider all our actions towards spirit to be an act of respect towards our relatives, towards our extended families or our forefathers who gave us the information which we utilise now in our daily lives. And I was recently reminded, if your ancestors are the spirits who bring you wisdom, now independent of whether you believe these ancestors take humans, spirit or animal forms, how can we be expected for anyone to impart wisdom onto us if we have neglected our relationship to them? It's the equivalent of asking for money from a great-grandparent who've never once been to visit. Equally, to expect spirits to still care about us if we're not in contact with them frequently. Do we expect our ancestors to keep, to keep giving to us when there's nothing here to hold their attention? But the main problem I have with workshops that teach how to connect with your spirit animal is the whole process is cultural misappropriation. In modern new age versions of animal spirits, um, we're looking at a form of spirituality in which all the negativity that we normally associate with humanity can be divorced. So sort of like fluffy kindness of animals and um, to give them meaning even when they're strengthened, they're not really ferocious in the way they should be naturally. And I mentioned in podcast too, the way we view the spirituality of animals has been evolving because of advances in human rights and animal protection. Where once only humans were buried and underwent um, crematory rites, now we see the beliefs have changed to promote the idea that animals have more complex evolved souls and this is symptomatic of the growing animism in the western world that animals are no longer seen as inferior we see they have spiritual power equal to our own possibly for the first time this is um, new for us in the christian world their actions are seen as innocent or noble but we cease to believe animals may have any negative attributes now as if all animals are just victims of circumstances when they act out of character yet we we haven't broken from the need to own animals or to utilize them as tools instead of we've compounded the belief that animals are heroic or angelic as they sacrifice themselves unwittingly for humanity therefore when we attend spirit animal workshops we expect to believe that animals will come forward to serve us for we perceive the animals will have these heroic qualities that we've attributed to them but a better explanation of spirit animals 
would need to look at cultural identity, genealogy, background. We'd presume to believe in ancestor worship. Um, when in fact a lot of members of humanity have relocated within the last century. They've got no concept of their own family history. And I think that perhaps the suggestion that we need to, we have these more familial relationships with our pets, that we see them as good and childlike and innocent. And that's because we've lost our own personal cultural heritage and we supplement the support of an extended family by taking in pets and animals into our homes. We want them to take the place of that which we had lost. Spirit animals' forms can be utilised in one of two ways, either through mediumship, where what we let the spirits talk through us, either willingly or unwillingly in the case of possession. Alternatively, work with spirit animals through dream consciousness or through altered states of reality. As an example, in the Russian Boo shamanism, and you remember we were talking about Moo and the Moo Goo being the male shagan from the moo culture and boo goo was the turkish equivalent and boo is another liration um, from russia and the boo are the russian shamanisms they're yellow shamans that indicates that their tradition came from tibet or mongolian buddhist sources that they believe in animism but also they have a kind of um tibetan medicine involved in the process as well in herbs and things like that and it practice with working with spirit and most animism have this connection to sound and music making we have an example shamanic drumming and the style of this is identical across most shamanic practices but some shamanic or animistic techniques use bells and some of them use clapping it's kind of the noises the scare they'll dissipate spirit energy and you see that even in Christianity, we have the sense of the bell, book and candle, with the bell being used to, for exorcism to dispel energy, to dispel um, bad negative souls. Then from animism and shamanism, we have examples of noise making as overtoning or throat sing or yoiking. And um, we have yoiking in like singing and mumbling tones they've got sounds that represent animals or nature you have the mimicry of an animal to bring the animal that animal's power into the seance or utilized in the healing for example the sound of reindeer is often used in childbirth but equally some yoiks create a soundscape known as bell canto where the sounds are sound really high pitched and unnatural and this represents the alienness of the activities which the shaman is performing. This then relates to speaking in tongues in the Christian tradition, um, where actually if people make other worldly noises, it indicates they're being possessed by bad spirits. And one of the main problems we've been facing as modern animists is that we understand the world is filled with others the non-human peoples 
but we believe these are equivalent to humans. And as a criticism, I have to say that the reincarnation into human, into animal forms, promotes dichotomy of a them and us. We still think these spirits are holding human intelligence, that they have the capacity to talk to us and give us instructions. Um, they are like our future selves, representations of future possibilities rather than being true animal forms as seen in the nature traditions. The modern concept of spirit animals and meeting one's animal, it doesn't promote any environmental concerns. And if you remember, a lot of people in modern animism have done this as a form of spiritual environmentalism. There are other spaces filled with spirit and consciousness, but these are not places from humans to travel unguided. And this denies the concept of equality that we all join together in one united soul. Remember I said we'd all rise together. Um, but if we use animals in specific places, it means that we're still using animals and we're not viewing them as equal. Animal involvement in the spiritual well-being is misaligned. We believe that animals should live natural lives, but then we make them our children. We overfeed them. We imagine them to be similar to ourselves. We believe that animals are spiritual, more so than in the past, but then we haven't given a status equal to our own. And when we look at the misappropriation of the spirit animals, it shows us just how far we still have to go on this issue in, within our own society, in our own communities. We still haven't really learnt to value the world properly. We're still seeing it through these rose-tinted human-centric spectacles.